Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 245, He's More Than a Ghost. This week we're discussing season 5, episode 3 of Angel, Unleashed, and episode 3 of Class, Night Visiting. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. Angel, episode three, Unleashed. Um, I want to start with kind of like the main plot of the episode, this sort of monster of the week, um, Nina, the werewolf girl storyline. Um <laughs> fairly standard sort of monster of the week story this week um which Hmm. isn't a problem necessarily um but just sort of noting the fact that uh the first episode of the season sort of dealing with the transition to wolfram and Hart, like that's a very kind of story arc clearly like pivot point of the you know the central storyline and then kind Mm -hmm. of episode two reintroducing Spike in. So it's sort of character specific, but again, has those larger mythological arc implications. Sure. Um, and not that we don't have moments like that in here, um, but this is more, you know, kind of standalone and, um, you know, and, and honestly, fairly straightforward. Um, mm-hmm. And like, in fact, we've even had, um uh werewolf stories before in Buffy, not necessarily an angel, right? But I mean, clearly obviously with Oz we got um you know uh <laughs> right. a, Although, a couple. There, you know, I don't I don't feel like we got a ton of werewolf angst with Oz, but um No. But you know, we got a little bit. So this is sort of Angel's more adult take on that theme. Yeah, I was going to say, like, compare, like, this um, getting bit story, right, to Oz, where he's like, right. hey, huh. did, uh, <laughs> did, did, is Joey a werewolf or whatever, like, his nephew or whatever his yeah. name is, is like, oh, okay, all right, so he is, all right, huh. Right. <laughs> you know, like, right. like <laughs> the very, like, calm, laid back, like, oh, okay, so well, and- he bit me. And he's I just, a werewolf. I forget yeah. why, but I feel like I just resaw that clip in some context. And, and it's even funnier the way that he doesn't even say, he doesn't even really confirm that he is. It's like, is is Joey a werewolf? And then just a pause, he goes, so how long has that been going on? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it it is like, I mean, maybe, again, that's partly because Buffy had... Oh, Jordy is the Jordy. That's even that's even funnier. Um, I knew it was a J. I just couldn't remember. Yeah, Jordy, Jordy the werewolf. Um, maybe it's like a few reasons. Maybe um, you know, like Buffy's again. Buffy's slightly more teen show. This is more kind of adult. You know, they want to get a little bit racier with it. Um. Oz is a very laid back character in general. So of course he's going to take 
his new condition in stride. Um, and, you know, so kind of all those things combined, this is the more like, we're gonna throw in some, a little more gore, a little more kind of sexual overtones, um, and definitely probably more angst in this episode than there was in like all of Oz's like two or three or however many seasons he had. Um, mm -hmm. at, at least as related to like his kind of werewolf nature. Um, like there's yeah, more sort of pondering the, the, your own sort of place in the world and, and your right to sort of be a person and live with your family and all those sorts of things. Nina definitely like goes into that a little more heavily. Whereas Oz, Oz again, just sort of goes with the flow and yeah. Right. I, yes. Although I think you get a little bit of more of that in season four of Buffy with the whole, um, Oh, what's the female? Yeah. 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 The, the singer. Um, you I get a little bit more of that. Uh, yeah. And I can't think of her name off the top of my head. With a V. Um, Veruca. Veruca. <clears throat> I don't know if that's actually true or if I just think all female grunge singers are named Veruca. <laughs> um, no, it is right. Veruca. All right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I was going to say like Vivian or something. Um, yeah. Yeah, right. Veruca. Veruca. Yes, and no, definitely. Like that's, it's not to say that you're right. Like there definitely is some of that. Um, and I, I wasn't saying that to like even disagree with you. I just like, like it takes a while to get there. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like it's, mm -hmm. it's, I think because of Oz's nature, like, yeah, like he's so laid back. And, and so like, really, it's not, um, it's not right away, which I guess is kind of interesting when you think about how they describe um, not Nina, but the guy who bit her, right? Because it seemed like initially he, he handles things. I mean, not well, he like leaves his family and goes off, but like you get the sense that he's doing that to protect them. Right. Like, mm. um, cause gun like tracks his credit cards and like police reports of like mysterious, you know, animal maulings or murders. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, he sort of uses track them. He's like, well, it's kind of like, it's kind of light early on. And then like, it gets worse. Like, apparently the less he's able to control it. And so you get the sense of it's maybe not quite like Oz level of, you know, you know, being chill about your condition, mm -hmm. but, but it's at least like that idea of like, initially you can fight or prevent, but then as things take over, you become more and more animalistic or, or less able to sort of control those urges. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, um, I mean, another element too is that they kind of have, uh, Dr. Royce specify the, uh, cryptozoologist who's on sort of retainer with Wolfman Hart. Um, they have him sort of specify that this is a different strain of werewolf too than what there yeah. was in Buffy, which, um, again, maybe that's a way of kind of saying, like, from the more 
uh, non-diegetic point of view, like we're going to try something new with this mythology. So they're not unrelated to the werewolves you saw in Buffy, but we're also going to take it in a slightly different direction. Um, like maybe this one, like Oz clearly needed some help controlling himself, but maybe this one has more of that sort of primal degenerative thing where it gets worse over time and, you know, it, impulse control gets harder and harder, you know, the longer that you live with this condition and everything. Yeah. Um, so, so mentioning um, the different uh, species, right. Um, you know, like, Oh, this is, uh, I, you know, some sort of pseudo Latin, right. Like, like Canthropus extremis mm -hmm. or whatever. <laughs> um, so there's, cause one of the things too is of course the different look. Right. And then mm -hmm. like, they bring up the like, Oh, this is this type of werewolf, like stands on two legs and like, like they're, they're kind of building out the mythology a little bit more to, to better accommodate. I think the, um, the look and sort of feel. Um, and it, so there's just sort of a funny reference here. Um, right. One of the, so one of the like, uh, special effects uh, people, Robert Hall, who, who designed the werewolf um, for this episode of Angel, was basically uh, basically told that um, Oz looked like a gay possum when he was a werewolf. And so literally the only instruction he was given was that his werewolf could not look like a gay possum. Um, and so, you know, they, you know, they need a big bad wolf. They need an angel, you know, a darker, right, more right. adult werewolf. And, and it needs to not look like a gay possum. So not that, that there's was, anything wrong with that. Yeah, not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just, it, but no, I mean, I think different show a little, you know, not that Angel can't be campy. But I mean, we're in the fifth season here. Like, you know, yeah. the, the, the Buffyverse has been going for eight years. And so... You know, we need to we need to step up the game a little bit. So, it, it, funny, but also just kind of a, a different, you know, little um, yeah, you know, take there on it. Yeah, and just you know, that many years later, uh, you know, let's give it another go at this thing. We don't have to be confined by what we, what the costume department came up with five years ago or whenever. You know. Oz was introduced, so that's kind of fair enough. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it is in keeping with trying to do, like, quote, the more serious take. Um, and again, not to say that Buffy wasn't serious or that Angel doesn't have humor, but just the overall sort of aesthetic is different. Like, Nina, there's no comedy with Nina. Um, like, there's none of that kind of bemused, like, huh, this is a thing that I have to live with now. Um, you know, it's played much more straightforwardly and sort of exploring, like, the potential harm that can come to her. You know, both, like, physical harm to her family and the, you know, pretty immediate harm to her relationships and all these sorts of things. Um, and I feel like that's kind of more what they, it, it, it's more in keeping to have a costume you don't sort of giggle at when you see it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, 
So, yeah, I mean, anything else about sort of the initial attack? And, you know, so Angel sort of rescues her with a silver pen, right? There must be some sort of, traditionally, there would be some sort of silver inlay. Um, and then, right. But then she, you know, gets to her car and speeds away. And so now we have this situation where we, uh, you know, they they know there's this, you know, infected person out there who is both sort of victim and someone they want to help and is also in danger of, you know, biting and infecting other people because there's two more nights of full moon coming up. So it becomes this sort of race to find her. Um, and Angel in particular is tired of the frustrations and bureaucracies and red tape that he's been struggling against the last couple episodes. So he's like, this is like the perfect opportunity to get back to what they, you know, what their mission really is, you know, what mm -hmm. they should be doing. And, you know, the, you know, blonde, beautiful young woman is sort of like, all right, this is what Angel was waiting for. Like, somebody to rescue. Like, this is great. Um, so he's like sure. the most sort of desperate to find her as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, so I'm I'm gonna kind of leave Spike for a little bit later because the other immediate crisis gets sort of tabled while this new priority sort of gets put on everybody's plate. Um, but yeah, they have everybody sort of spreading out and into their different departments to sort of look for her, like you mentioned. Um, you know, gun sort of pulling in resources and you know traffic cameras and all his sort of paperwork type things that he now has. Um, you know, Fred's doing blood testing and all these sorts of things. Um, and they bring in this guy, Dr. Royce, the cryptozoologist, to kind of update them on the mythology of, you know, this particular kind of werewolf. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we should call out... Um... John Billingsley here, the, the actor who plays Dr. Roy. I feel like he's one of those, oh, he's that guy. Like, right, him in, again. In, like all of those, like you recognize him. Uh, probably his most notable, I mean, uh, without doubt, his most notable um, is um, Star Trek Enterprise, um, where he played Dr. Phlox. Um, I don't know if you were aware of that, but I'm sure like anyone who is familiar familiar with Star Trek would know him from that. Um, and of course, uh, which he was playing at the time that Angel was on. So he's like well known for like he's several a couple of years at least into his role on Star Trek Enterprise. You know when this season of Angel airs. Mm -hmm. um, so I mean. Just to note that he's one of those guys. He he's in a lot of different stuff. Um, mostly, you know, one-off sort of character actor stuff. Um, you know, appeared in uh, later appeared in a uh, episode of Bones. Um, so you know, another chance to work with Dave Boreanaz. Um, 
appeared in Suits, uh, appeared in, well, you know, which I always love a chance to bring up Suits. Um, and then, um, yeah, just like, I mean, a lot of different things where, um, you know, he's appeared in uh, different things. Um, Leverage with Christian Kane. Uh, so just kind of going through the list there of like other angel people uh, they appear suits of course being uh, 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 mm-hmm. Gina Torres um, having appeared there that's why I'm allowed to bring her up um, but anyway <laughs> so, or bring that up um, anyway so just to say that like yeah like he's one of those uh, who just kind of appears in, in a lot of different things here and there um, oh, some, and, some more than others and he's from Media Pennsylvania which is pretty close to where I live oh, well, um, there you go so um, it's funny because he's kind of familiar, but as you're listing all the titles, I don't think I've seen any of the things that he's done. So yeah, I, I don't know what I've actually like seen him in. Maybe I and, like, don't know him. He's been in movies and maybe it's just one of those faces, but he's been in movies and stuff too. Like, mm-hmm. so I mean, I was just listing things that I knew were other connections with angel actors, but you know, I'm sure you've seen him in other things. I mean, he, Sure. Probably, I, I may, or maybe not. Maybe he's totally unfamiliar to you. Maybe you just are not as uh, well watched as I thought you were. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm definitely not, especially in Star Trek, um, and some of the procedurals you were mentioning. So it's possible that I've not bumped into this guy before. But fair enough. Um, fair enough. But. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else to say about him before we get to the end. Well, there's the scene where uh, he sings Jesse's Girl for Lauren. Um, <laughs> yeah. With this nice little, like, you know, little vocal flourishes and everything. Like, he, <laughs> he like, does the little tricks, you know. It's, it's, yeah. it's pretty funny. So, yeah, Lauren's still kind of working his thre- his way through all the employees and like they even sort of go out of their way to test this guy you know because i mean i guess that's later when Dina goes missing they're sort of looking for who are the obvious candidates and right you know and are able to sort of rule out uh dr royce initially um so yeah just like the latest example in the ongoing plot of subversion at wolfram and hart you know mm-hmm. people either you know i don't know just undermining the direction of where angels taking things or actively like selling them out to right a higher bidder or whoever else they're sort of really following um so yeah i want to kind of come back to that um you know what happens to royce at the end um but before all that happens, um, when they're still sort of looking for Nina, she goes home and, um, you know, we start getting all her kind of symptoms of feeling sick and craving raw meat and sort of, you know, starting to sort of think unsavory thoughts about her niece. Um, mm-hmm. who, or, or savory. Or, yes, um exactly um yeah 
I don't know. Again, like fairly standard werewolfy stuff, which I that makes it sound like I do, I dislike it, which like I like a good werewolf story. That's fine. Sure. Um who doesn't? Who doesn't? Um yeah, I mean I, I kind of always kind of think that the the idea of I mean, I guess Angel plays on this too, to a certain extent, but I feel like with the werewolf sort of illness metaphor, um, I kind of always am compelled by the idea of the monster who hates sort of the fact that they have no control over their own monstrousness. Um, Mm -hmm. Which again, like, Angel sort of has that level of self-loathing, but there's also, he's conscious while he does what he does. Um, You know, like whether he has a soul and only decides to go vamp in order to like fight bad guys or whether he's sort of soulless and trapped inside as he sort of watches Angelus sort of wreak havoc. I don't know. I feel like that's something slightly different. Whereas with Nina here, um, it's kind of an interesting idea that, you know, you transform into something and have no idea what you're doing. And then you have to yeah. sort of wake up the next day to the results of whatever happened. So mm-hmm. kind of the idea that like, even more so than the vampires, there's literally no self-control other than putting yourself in a place of security or turning yourself over to people who can sort of stop you. Um, yeah, you know, they're kind of like, it's, they're monsters, but they're kind of very vulnerable monsters, which makes them kind of like poignant, I think. It's sort of a melding of two metaphors, I think, in a way, because I think, so I I think you're with Angel, I think you're right that like, with Angel, I feel like, with actual Angel, not Angelus, I feel like it's more of like the idea of doing a bad thing with sort of good intentions, right? Mm -hmm. So like, it's not that you don't know that what you're doing is wrong, but you feel like there's a sort of ends justifying the means kind of thing. Whether that's actually true or not is a separate thing, but at least there's like a justification there of like, I'm I'm vamping to Mm -hmm. achieve a particular goal. Right. Um... Right, and I may not like it, but it's a power that I have that I use at times. Right, and so, right, I I may, I have this power, I try to use it for good, I may not always walk the line as straight as I possibly can, but for the most part, that's at least the goal. Mm-hmm. And, and Jealous is a different story, like you said, it's like there's someone else completely in the different seat, and it's not... Like, you're just sort of trapped and letting them do that. And there's probably some sort of, like, psychological metaphor that Mm. you could, you know, bring up there. With the werewolf thing, I feel like there's sort of two things going on. One is that sort of appeal to a baser desire. Mm. Like, a completely animalistic, like... and, And I feel like it's typically... Well, not... Not in the Buffyverse, like, looking outside at vampire lore in mm-hmm. general. Like, I feel like it's it's more, like, 
based in sort of like male, mm-hmm. you know, alpha animal yeah. type behavior. Yeah. I mean, I think in Buffy, you get things like Veruca or characters like Veruca right. and right. now Nina, where that's maybe that's a subversion or maybe it's a, a broader application to say like, oh, hey, women can be this way too. You know, mm-hmm. like, so it's not right. maybe as limiting as the sort of traditional vampire lore. But I, I, I don't, I don't like, I don't think it's a subversion. I think it is more of an expansion in mm-hmm. that way. Um, I guess it depends on your definition of subversion, but anyway, um, we don't need to get into that conversation. Well, it doesn't contradict the metaphor. It just sort of, like you said, broadens the idea of yeah. what the metaphor can contain. Right. Whereas right. I think a subversion would be like, you think it's this, but really we're going to go in a different direction. Um, so there's that aspect of it. But I also feel like, like it's almost a, there's almost like a, a well, it's, it's cyclical. So you can talk about it that way too of, I mean, if, if you're looking at a male perspective, sort of like the mm-hmm. the alternative to sort of a menstrual cycle, I mm-hmm. guess. But yeah. um, right, and Spike makes a kind of time of the month, yeah, joke about it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, but I feel like also with there, there's like also sort of a a fugue state aspect to it, which is almost a. a like drunk or like an inebriated Mm -hmm. metaphor of like you don't you blacked out you don't remember Mm -hmm. Uh, i suppose there's a rage aspect to that too like some people talk about getting so angry that they literally have no memory of what they did and Mm -hmm. you know eat someone to a pulp or whatever um right so i don't i don't know i like i don't i don't know quite what i'm getting at there but like i feel like there's that aspect to it of the like there's the lack of memory and and I don't want to say lack of responsibility, but like almost a sense of like it, it it's different than the conscious decision that Angel has right. to sort of use his power. It's like like there's this sort of underlying it's just part of who you are mm-hmm. aspect to it. And and not that you can't do things to control it or contain it, like you know, locking yourself in a cage for three days or whatever, or, you know, Mm -hmm. three nights at least. But that there's maybe a different understanding, you know, to that uh, development of that um, illness or condition or whatever you want. Yeah, I think there's more of a disjunct between the human persona and the sort of monster persona than there is with the vampires. Like, Angel and Spike are closer in a sense. Like, even in their good and sold states, they're still vampires. They're still closer to that sort of monster side. Whereas, like, with Nina, you know, and I think, yeah, like, the the werewolf sort of mythos more broadly, there can be pretty much like no relationship between um, like as much as the werewolf could be a metaphor for this sort of blackout period of whatever that is. 
um, it has nothing to do with Nina herself. Like, you know, she can be gentle and responsible and quiet and like all these, you know, sort of things that we think of as like the good citizen of society. And, and yet she has no control over this thing that happens, you know, mm -hmm. periodically. And then, you know, it happens and she transforms and she wreaks all this destruction. And then she goes right back to who she was and she kind of has to deal with the aftermath of it, but it's not like her human self is necessarily sort of implicated in what like the monster side does. Um, so there's like a sure. bigger, there's like a bigger gulf between the two sides of like the split personality there right um um there's also the like looking at it from um external point of view like the the sister's point of view and stuff too because it's that idea of like finding right. out that someone isn't really who they are or, or who you always thought they were right mm -hmm. like the I'm thinking particularly at that moment of like, you can't always count on me. And she's like, since when? Like, mm -hmm. I've always been able to count on you. And it, and that idea of not even that like someone is leading a double life. I mean, she kind of is by this point, I guess, but like only just, it's not like she's been leading a double life all along, but it's like that thing of like, when someone does some, something that they swore they would never do, or you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. the person you thought would never lie to you or would never cheat on you or would never, you know, let you down in any way. And suddenly they do. And it's like, there's that disjunct between who you think they are and who they've always been sort of in your own mind. And then like the person they've become or maybe have always been in some cases, but mm -hmm. never just revealed to you until now kind of thing. Well, and I think it, um, the way of her, like, the the way her sort of attack is, is portrayed as her sort of being, you know, like, I don't know, tackled in a park. And then she sort of has bruises the next day and, you know, either can't remember or quite doesn't really want to explain like what happened or whatever. And th so there's that sense of her attack having sort of like, you know, sexual violence overtones of like, yeah. And, and again, you, like you said, like it doesn't mean she's, she has to have been keeping a secret for a long time, but even just keeping her secret for like a day, her sister sort of notices mm -hmm. like, all right, you're acting out of character. What, what's there's these strange bruises you're irritable you're tired you're like in your room you, you're not you know you're being irresponsible you're leaving your niece you know alone at night all these things um and there being this sort of violent thing that happened to her that she can't talk about right um, or or even that she's just processing like it's not yeah, even that like yeah. she might not want to talk about it it's just she doesn't even know how she feels about it or or what's happening right know, to right. her own right and not and and like can't talk about in like 
a literal sense of like not that she feels she shouldn't talk about but that she can't yet like sure. she's not she's not capable of talking about it she maybe doesn't have her own thoughts or the language sort of ready enough to mm-hmm. even know where to begin um right yeah that's a good point um yeah so uh they eventually do find her um Mm -hmm. and just in time to prevent her like completely ripping the throat out from her niece which is a good thing um Mm -hmm. and um think think generally we can accept that that's good generally that's a good result um and you know take her to like a holding cell in wolfram and hart where um Angel kind of shows her evidence of um, of her transformation and kind of offers her, like, the implication here and at the end is that she has a place to go. Um, right. You know, every, every month when this happens, like, all right, you don't have to worry about your family because this is not just we're going to save you this one time, but we have this understanding that we are a, we're a safe space. We're a resource for you to come when you're mm-hmm. in need of help um right so yeah and it, it kind of struck me funny um especially in light of like all the stuff in class of like people forgetting from week to week when there are like alien invasions and stuff um mm-hmm. and doctor mm-hmm. who in general um i felt like nina accepted the idea of like vampires very quickly and it was it kind of made me think like what has she seen like does she kind of have some idea that there are supernatural things because there's a moment where it's like he kind of shows her and then he says i'm a vampire and then she's like well vampires are like this and it's like whoa okay you you have some ideas about what vampires are like so i feel like they don't do that a lot usually it's like everybody needs the idea of the supernatural sort of explained to them a little bit more. Whereas Nina kind of seems very like, like she's over that hurdle already. Um, and kind of yes. seems like she knows that there's weird things going on in LA. Yes. Although you remember, I mean, since we're making callbacks to Buffy, yeah, <laughs> the last person who sort of just accepted like, the underlying, you know, reality of like what's going on was Oz, right? Like, it, remember when sure. he, when when he first sort of finds out, and he's like, "Actually, that explains a lot." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like it, it, it's like there's no no yeah. real problems yeah. about, uh, you know what? Yep. Yeah, okay. Actually, so vampires exist. But I, I think it's Xander who says, right? Is it at Cordy's, uh, or no, it's at the surprise birthday party, right? Yeah, I forget Isn't which it? one. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it, it's kind of like, yeah, okay, so vampires are real. And he's like, actually, that's, that explains a lot. Yeah. Well, that's I, a good, that's a good point. Like, as, again, we were listing all these differences between, like, Oz and Nina and, like, the werewolves as presented in these shows. But there is a kind of, yeah, that kind of unflappable quality is sort of, similar and I feel like again 
that works well with the werewolf, like the juxtaposition of the very emotionally volatile mm. werewolf state, and then the very sort of calm, placid, um, kind of, you know, like even though Nina is take, you know, is very worried about her family and everything, she's kind of similar in that she just sort of accepts pretty quickly like mm -hmm. you know she doesn't like have a huge long period of denial um or like storm off from Wolfram and Hart and refuse to be sort of you know kept there or whatever like she kind of like accepts things and is ready to sort of make it work mm. yeah um but yeah I'd forgotten that that had an Oz connection too that's funny yeah, and I didn't really think of it till you were just sort of describing it that way. So I think, I think it is kind of funny that that there is, and and I wonder if, I mean, I w I wonder how conscious. I mean, you know, not that things have to be conscious mm -hmm. or not from a writer's perspective, as we've talked about before. But I wonder how conscious that is, or if that's just part of the mythos of the werewolf of uh, that. There's a very like it's almost like the more violent and wild and out of control the werewolf is like you you almost want a completely opposite you yeah. know more restrained yeah possibly repressed personality although i don't i don't yeah. know that i would say either oz or nina are particularly repressed no. in, in that way it's just that there is that sort of like sense of control and reliability and, and right right you know, evenness to their character that right. juxtaposes with the wildness of the right. werewolf. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, I would say that's what Rowling does with Lupin in the Harry Potter stories as well. Like, it's definitely calm, unflappable, reliable, kind of droll, not very emotional, borderline repressed, and maybe over, more so over the line than these two. Like, Maybe mm. maybe that story gets more into the kind of like dangerous aspects of the repression a little bit more, but it's I think he has a similar kind of thing of let's have characters that on their on the surface of their human personalities seem to be the last people you would expect to have this wild out of control sort of dark side mm -hmm. um, and that that goes right back to the you know, we never thought this person would do this thing, right? It's always like right. the neighbor you wouldn't have suspected or the coworker, right. you know, who does the right. violent thing or whatever. Well, um, and it, it actually, there was another thing that made me think of Harry Potter in here because there was a line, I forget if it was Gunn or if it was Royce talking about packs of werewolves recruiting. Um, yeah. Which makes me think of like, uh, it's Royce, yeah. Yeah. So again, in Harry Potter, you have kind of, if you're a werewolf in that universe, you kind of have two choices. You either repress and be as tightly controlled in your human life as possible to offset the dangers of, you know, the condition, or you completely embrace the animal side and start to live that way in your human life as well. And like if if you're of that temperament then you kind of live in the wild and get with a pack 
and you try to, you know, convert and recruit people to your cause by any means necessary. Um, and it kind of seems like that's the hint here. Like, you know, maybe Nina and Oz are like, quote, the good werewolves who want to actually protect their families and have normal lives and sort of try not to let it take over their entire life. Whereas maybe the suggestion is there, there are people that just totally embrace it and give yeah. in and run off to live like almost like actual wolves in the wild. Yeah. Well, and it's not, so I think there's a little bit of that with Veruca, not from a pack sort of perspective, but from a um, embrace your, right. you know, wolf nature. A more kind of, kind of a more hedonistic sort of worldview mm -hmm. of how to, yeah. Yeah. Um, when, so drilling down into the Harry Potter reference there, and we should probably talk about other things than the Monster of the Week mm -hmm. shortly after this. Hey, we're getting way more out of this than I am. Uh, than I thought um, Drilling down into that, when, when would have that, was that like Order of the Phoenix, or uh, when did we sort of learn about that? Well... Just because that would have, Order of the Phoenix came out in 2003, so we're talking pretty close timeline here to... It is. You know... It's, oh man, you know what? It's kind of the other way around because Lupin shows up in Prisoner of Azkaban, which is the third book, which came out in 99, I think. Um, but we don't get more, we get the stuff about the, the packs in Half-Blood Prince which did not come out. So that was later. Until yeah. 2005? Yes. So, if anything, Angel came first to that specific aspect of it. Like, so we get sort of Lupin as a character and sort of his particular reaction and like his personality but it's more so in it's more so in half-blood prince that you get the idea that he's not necessarily typical of all of the werewolves in this universe that there are people who sort of choose to go a different direction um so that's interesting because i was kind of thinking of it like as oh maybe it's a potential illusion but like no this ain't this episode of angel actually came first, right? You said this is 2003? Uh, no, uh, well, I think it's late 2003. We're in season five here. Yeah. Yeah, so um, they can't have sort of, at least the kind of Fenrir Greyback, like, living, like, you know, packs in the wild element. I don't think they can have got that from Harry Potter because the timeline doesn't add up. Um, sure. So that's interesting. But, I mean, could be just people hitting on a similar idea. Um, but it, they are very, it's very similar sort of scenarios. Which, again, and to highlight the differences, with Oz and 
Veruca, I never really was thinking about Harry Potter much. Whereas like this episode with Nina reminds me a lot more of Rowling's particular sort of take on that monster. Um, yeah. So again, and whether I, I, maybe there was no intentional illusion or idea of stealing there, but like they just came up with really similar ideas of how to go about things. Yeah. And I mean, we've gotten references to Harry Potter in the Buffy books. Mm -hmm. So like, it's not, not unforeseeable that, yeah. you know, uh, no, no. Whether J.K. Rowling ever watched Angel is a question I don't have an answer to. Um, sure, she could have gone. You know, oh, Pax, that's a good idea. Yeah, um, I and, wonder what those guys would be like. And this is um, so specific date. Uh, this is October fifteenth, two thousand and three. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, before. Yeah, so after Order of the Phoenix, but before... Before Half the Yeah, before Half it's, it's possible. Um, all right, now I'll be Googling for evidence of rolling, watching. I, I can, t I, I'd, you know, not be surprised to find that Rowling had seen Buffy, but I can't, I'd be more surprised to see that she, you know, uh, watched Angel, but maybe she has, I don't know. That would be, if I can find evidence of it, that would be an interesting paper somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Yeah. Just similar similarities and differences of portrayals of the werewolf in Harry Potter and Angel. Um, anyway, where were we? So I, we went all over the we place. We went all over the place. Um all right. So Angel sends her home with Fred. I mean, we kind of talked through like her sister's reaction and everything, which I think is the main part of her visit home. Um so then she gets kidnapped and they're all trying to figure out by who and all this sort of, you know, the plot of that, but um it turns out to be, we never really find out much detail about who these people are, but some sort of society that has fancy dinner parties in which they eat werewolves alive. Um, or maybe they eat lots of different monsters. Yeah. And, like, I was, I was going to say, I got the sense that it was more like an exotic, right. like, right. you like know, it's, uh, exotic meat club or something right, <laughs> which, right. Which, like it's this is just one potential menu it's not like exclusively right. werewolf yeah right um, right that like when they are able to they get um yeah they they come together to sort of have these which yeah. um reminds me of uh the garden party episode of the office in which Dwight tells Robert California that he can get him exotic meats, and then he's like, it's all just goat. Right. <laughs> um, this is not all just goat. This no. is clearly, like, they're, you know, part of the experience is verifying the authenticity, because you're literally, I guess, carving, uh, you know, the 
meat off of the live beast because right when you kill a werewolf it it turns human right and and they get to see her transform sort of on the dinner table so they know again the part of the authenticity is like you know seeing her go through that um yeah so yeah all very weird and gruesome and gross um and yeah so angel and co sort of come to the rescue um i i feel like she's a little bit cool with being eaten (laughs) i feel like i i kind of get that like again like i i I like this you you mean to like like it's uncharacteristic yeah or like yeah yeah, just like I, i as much as i understand the fear for her family and the not really feeling like she can ever go home and those aspects of it i feel like she's a bit blasé about the actual eating part of it um just go ahead and carve me up alive like yeah like i can't go home this is better like we can't find some happy medium between the two like this is the only other solution how about Um, you don't get eaten alive and and yeah you don't go home three nights out of the month right (laughs) right um yes like just very you know, after this sort of traumatic sort of kidnapping of like, you know, being sort of chained up and hosed and all this sort of stuff, then to have her just kind of be like, eh, all right, <laughs> you know, like, I guess this is fine. Um, you know, sure. that just, it just kind of struck me a little bit funny. Um, but anyway. Yeah, especially since, I mean, we don't really know what happens but it's like like she sort of wakes up on the table right so like right do they do they like um because they string her up and like strip her and hose her down Mm -hmm. do they like inject her or something like do we see her actually get knocked out i don't think so i don't remember either so it's like so like we don't even see when when exactly it is that she goes unconscious Mm-hmm. which is kind of a weird thing. Cause it's like, then she's waking up and it's like, Oh, well you were already awake before. So mm-hmm. why are you waking up now? <laughs> right. Um, you're kind of left to fill in. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think at that point it's like, it's almost like, okay, like we thought of this monster of the week thing and we got it, you know, to get where we needed to go. And then kind of like, the character we got the character stuff to where we needed it and it's like well we still have to sort of wrap this up though sure i mean that's my crit ficky version of why it is the way it is but i think it i think i i I agree with you is what i'm trying to say the setup (laughs) is a little more compelling than the resolution of it um yeah at least her At least her in that sort of end moment of like, no, just let me die. Right. You know, by in this horrific and not even like. Right. It's like at least at least you could say, like, put a bullet in my head or something like, you know, before I change, just just kill me. Right. Like. Right. Right. But this is like the most sounds like the most agonizing possible way to. Yeah. Yeah. Like, where's the. um. 
like the Malcolm Reynolds mercy of like shooting the guy on your way out of town so he doesn't get eaten by the Reavers, mm -hmm. right? You know, like that's the thing that you would maybe expect of like, just finish me off. Don't let me get eaten, you know, mm -hmm. kill me while you have a chance. Like I could see that. Right more than the no it's okay let them carve me up and die slowly and painfully right yeah it's a little bit the um the the dog in the flaming room meme of this is fine you know like the the, <laughs> the reaction isn't consistent with what's going on around her um not in kind but like in degree sure. <laughs> like like there's just yeah we could maybe as much as I like the cool, unflappable werewolf thing, we could maybe ratchet up the emotion a little bit there. Yeah. Could, um, could be slightly concerned yeah, about just, your prediction. Just a little bit, you know, <laughs> at least about, like, the physical trauma you're about to go through. Um, well, and it, especially, like you said, like, when they're, you know, stringing her up in shackles and stripping right, her, like, right, she's right. Which she clearly seems not, not okay happy with that. With that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it was just, like, kind of a funny, like, uh, like, I don't know the 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 sort of actress's take on you know or maybe it was the director who knows you know of like you know the downplaying the emotion there was a little bit kind of struck me funny mm -hmm. but anyway um obviously Angel's not going to allow that um no. although he does allow them to eat a werewolf um, he just waits for Royce to get bitten well, and then sort of lets them cart him off. Yes. But I don't think that's true. Oh, okay. Because at the end they say that the group is no longer active. Oh. Oh, I missed that. In in, in Angel's apartment later, they say that that, that group is no longer... Um, oh, I don't know if I actually wrote it down. Here, let me see if I if I can find it. But um, yeah, no, they they state explicitly in in Angel's apartment that like the group is no longer mm. active. So it sounds to me like like okay, we agree to whatever we need to agree to to like get out of the situation. Sure, and then shut like, it down. And right, so like Crane's not going to let them go and take Nina unless they can provide a you know replacement, which they do sort of accidentally, but we'll mm -hmm. take it, right? Mm -hmm. Happy accident. And um and then later it's like they go back. I, I mean this is headcanon, but I would sure. I would no, think, like, I, later, I just I think I just kind of glossed over that line. Yeah. Later um yeah, later like they they totally make use of Wolfram and Hart's like, you know, operations department and, you know, go and clean up make the problem go away um yeah okay that's, okay so that's my headcanon version anyway but there i'll try to find that line but so anyway. a, no i i believe you um so angel's not quite as merciless as he sort of found it ah. uh right after um right after lauren is like cosmos all around um Gunn says, don't mean to talk shop, but Crane's bistro of the bazaar. And Angel says, out of business, permanently. Hmm. Okay. And then there's, like, the Wesley's comment about Sasquatch soup, and Gunn makes his beans on toast comment, and Fred's like, oh, I'm hungry. Let's order Chinese. Gotcha, gotcha. 
All right, I think the uh, the rapid fire dialogue was just a little too uh, fast in that moment, and I just didn't it didn't register. So yeah, that yeah, makes sense. no, it it definitely is. But um, and also like I feel like at that point it's right, it's the denouement. So it's it's like you're down, like the action's gone. It's kind of yeah, you're it, it's the bonding moment. It's not really mm-hmm. like it's this like two lines of exposition, mm-hmm. you know, in sort of character bond. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, we have four minutes for character bonding. All right. <laughs> so I didn't mean to rush the. Um, no, I mean I think we we milked a lot out of that main monster of the week plot. Um, will we see Nina the werewolf again? My guess is no, actually, but um, but I could be wrong about that. I feel like like they definitely leave it open-ended you know of like oh she gave him a look i don't know why she feels like a one-off character to me but i again i don't know sure yes uh trust your feelings you know them to be true (laughs) um yeah i mean that's funny one of the one of the actual like qualms that i have with angel just like on the whole, I mean, obviously we get some very good main characters. Mm-hmm. They seem to discard the secondary characters that work really well. Um, whereas, like, I feel like in Buffy, mm-hmm. like, that that was, like, Spike, right? Like, that was, right. you know, Spike was supposed to be a one-off character that they brought back because, like, people sort of liked him and he worked well with others and all of that. And so... I feel like, um, not just, not just with Nina, which we won't, I like, I won't keep you in suspense. We're not going to see her again. Uh, we might get reference to her at some point. I don't remember if maybe they reference her at some mm-hmm. point, but that's obviously not the same thing. Um, or, um, oh gosh, Electra Girl. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, what's her name? I'm blanking now. Like, I feel like they could have done so much more with her character as, like, a another, even into this season, as a as a person for hire for Wolfram and Hart, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So I just, I, you know, that frustrates me a little bit, because then, like, maybe they could have replaced, like, some of the Connor <laughs> arcs and stuff with more satisfying, you yeah. know, secondary characters. But they do seem to sort of discard... Yeah. Uh, well, and it's these weird characters because characters that work well. They discard them after dangling the possibility of doing more. Like I right. it, it would be less noticeable if they were purely just one-off characters, but then they always end their arcs with like, "Oh, maybe it'll be more." And then it never is. <laughs> like, it's always like, "Oh, this is going somewhere." And then like, "Nope." Um right. whether they never had any intention or whether they just quickly decided like, "Nope, this doesn't work. Moving on." I, um, the one the one thing I read about um, Nina specifically was like, yeah, like she and Angel sort of had good chemistry. And so like we left it open and then just never did anything with it. It's like, right, well, right. yeah, like <laughs> we know <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> right. Right. Anyway. Yeah, that's funny. Now that we've, we've used all of our time talking about Nina. All right. Let's try to. You know. Yeah, we'll get quickly. All right, Spike. Um, yes. This is, yeah, this is interesting. And I'm 
interested to actually hear your kind of take on it because the ending is very strange and I wasn't quite sure what to think about it. Um, so we get this kind of somewhat role reversal a little bit with, um, I mean, Spike's opinion doesn't change. He wants Fred to save him. Like he is consistent sure. on that point and we, <laughs> we can't like blame him for that. But like, sure. there's a little bit of a flip, whereas, you know, yeah, there's like one scene in the middle, but basically it's these two scenes with Fred where in the beginning, he's sort of begging her to like, actually like really I need help like right now like not tomorrow you know not a week from now like yesterday um and how many ways can he say that like this is happening now it's getting worse it's a serious problem please help um and she's kind of blows him off like like yeah I know I get it but like you know werewolf girl like there's other priorities yeah. here and anyway so i can i just i yeah, i don't maybe. know that i would say blows him off okay like like i don't i think going so going back to the conversation of like the um the faux uh picnic at the beginning which i know we're like talking about later but like i think part of it plays into that because i think all like what Fred is actually saying in that discussion at the picnic is we want to do good, but we're so bogged down by the bureaucracy of everything. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, I think it's actually what she's saying to Spike is a reiteration of that. Like, like, yeah, like it's kind of that, you know, losing the strategic vision for the day-to-day -day drudgery of your job. Like, I don't know, like, I have to get a blog post out this week without, like, realizing, like, what's the bigger purpose of the blog on our website? And, like, why mm -hmm. do we actually even have a blog? And what are we trying to actually do? It's more like, I just need to write words down to get, you know, onto the page so that I can publish it and say I published something. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that kind of idea. I use that specifically because I know you wrote, like, your first blog post for your job. This is so. true. Um, and I do it regularly for my job, so I'm very familiar <laughs> with the feeling um so, so but that's uh, what she's doing with nina right is focusing on exactly like the the you know what's the crisis of the day but i don't think i don't think that's blowing him off i think it's i think it's a loss of of strategy a loss of like what's the bigger view but i don't mm -hmm. think it's like i i guess i i took the blowing him off thing as like she thinks it's unimportant. I, I don't think that Fred thinks it's unimportant. I think she just, and I think she realizes this, you know, partway through the episode, but I think she's just getting bogged down by the immediate rather than sort of sure being what she should be as a director and, and looking at the sort of strategic vision of like, what is her department actually do as a department and like what it should it be doing and what are the, activities it should be focusing on um, yeah i guess i just at the end of the last episode i given the kind of gravity of what spike told her and the way it was presented as like this completely hellish like literally you know like being dragged into hell nightmare situation it's hard for me to see how she can 
not make that a priority. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I I guess, but she's all, how, like, how long has she known Spike too? Like, I mean, I think sure. there's also uh, an element of just like, all right, he's just this like other like mystical creature, and and yes, he's maybe intriguing and um, you know, a little hot and like you know, interesting from a there's obviously a history there with Angel kind of thing, but like. I don't think she's like beholden to him. I think that's just like, like she's a good person and she wants to help and, and all mm-hmm. of that. But like, that's true of Nina as well. And I yeah. think she, she looks at both of them. I, I don't, maybe not equally per se, but like, mm-hmm. like there's two people who need help. And, and this one is the more urgent at the moment. Spike's, been slowly disappearing over weeks i've still got time Mm -hmm. you know what i mean versus nina's gonna be a werewolf tonight and we need to find her immediately yeah i can i can see that i think and maybe it was a slight misreading on my part i thought where she gets to by the end of the episode here where she's invested personally like Mm -hmm. she feels responsibility for him whether or not that's justified or not she sort of takes it on as i think i had the impression that she was there at the end of the last episode so then it it threw me a little bit at the beginning when it was sort of like ah spike you've got time what's the big deal what's the rush like you're not going anywhere and it's like but he is he's telling you that so i think it was just like a, a slight kind of i don't know misread of where she kind of had landed. So in any case, she's certainly by the end of this episode, she's there. Like mm-hmm. when she thinks she, he might've disappeared, she obviously feels very responsible for that. Like realizing right. like, uh, I might've missed my chance. Um, and maybe it is happening more quickly than she had anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's again it's not that spike doesn't care and now she cares but like there's a bit of a flip where he's sort of more remote like literally like only half sort of corporeal and you know or half visible and she's the one kind of making him the promises and sort of trying to reach out and sort of so here's my question though the way he kind of like solidifies at the end. Mm-hmm. What do you make of that? Like, I almost like, is that his sort of just reaction to having someone care that maybe he becomes a bit more here? Like maybe there's some sort of lifeline that sort of strengthens or I almost took it like as, is he like, kind of tricking her like is he kind of pretending Mm. to be more disappeared than he really is in order to like get her to like hurry up um like there's almost a little smirk in the way when he kind of sort of comes fully back that almost implied like did he scare her on purpose in order to motivate her um and then so, but then I thought, well, maybe I'm reading into it. So I thought I'd see what you thought. Well, you're obviously reading into it. Well, yeah. um, well but has anybody else 
agreed with me or am I alone in that reading? I think, so I think. Or is this an open question and I need to wait and see? Yeah, like I'm, I'm debating how much I want to say here because like that's kind of part of it is like I just. Sure. I, like I don't want to comment necessarily on Spike's sincerity or manipulative skills like we've seen that he has those so yeah the skills anyway and and also the sincerity at times um sometimes both at the same time um you know so and i i do believe he's sincerely in trouble and sincerely wants help it's just a question of how immediate was the danger today i guess i don't I don't know how much we should read into like I I hadn't thought so there's almost like a, a believing in Tinkerbell quality to kind of the way you described it right like by you know right is his solidifying you know sort of a result of Fred's sort of like not like faith and belief in him but more like willingness to help him and so like there's sort of a tether and lifeline there i hadn't thought of that that way i i i suppose that could be like like that there's something because he talks about something sort of pulling pulling him the other way right mm -hmm. and trying like trying to trap him on the other side mm -hmm. um and it seems like there's sort of a sheer force of will going on for him to come back of you know, escaping or pulling away from whatever it is on the other side. Mm -hmm. And so maybe there's an aspect of Fred acting like an anchor, or even maybe there's sort of some unconscious will of hers that's sort of reaching out and pulling him mm -hmm. into this world. So maybe like I could see that happening. I don't know that that's like official, mm -hmm. but that could be like headcanon. I don't, I don't see anything in, incompatible mm -hmm. there per se. Mm -hmm. So to that aspect of what you said, like I, I could see that being a piece. Yeah. Um, is, is Spike tricking her? I, I mean, maybe tricking's the wrong, that's overstating, but. Or being manipulative, manipulative yeah. in some way. I mean, I think it's always a possibility that Spike's being manipulative. So. I don't, I don't want to discount that wholly, mm -hmm. you know, just out of hand. Um, I, I don't think that my reading of it is that I don't think that he's got quite that level of control over his ability to appear and disappear mm -hmm. other than as sort of like a force of will kind of thing again, like, but I don't think it would be like, he's going to allow himself to be sort of in a half state just so that he can like pull a fast one on Fred right. or, you know, convince her something. Like, I think, right. Right. I think and that's, he's going to, that's what I kind of, I had that thought and then I was like, no, maybe not. You know, like I kind of pulled I, so, back from that reading. So, and, and I think there's plenty of like source text, even going back to like Buffy and stuff to, um, you know, appeal to that side of it. Like, you know, thinking way back to, um, you know, people are, are walking happy meals, right? Like 
what does he tell Buffy? Like, he's like, I, I like this world. I want to be here. It's, it's an easy world to live in as a vampire. Like mm-hmm. there's lots of people to snack on. And, and I mean, this is before he has a soul and, you know, is presumably good and stuff. What is this like season four that he's in mm-hmm. this kind of stuff? Um, or maybe season five. Um, and so I think there's, there's plenty of evidence to show that like Spike enjoys being in the real world or the, primary world or or earth or whatever whatever we want to, want to call it and doesn't particularly want to go to like well hell which is how he describes the other side mm-hmm. um i mean i suppose he could be being manipulative in that description too but again i don't know i don't know why he would especially if we believe that he wants to be here like i think we can accept at face value that like whatever is on the other side is far worse than being on this side and so like i think that's all believable um and so i think given that we can believe that any anything that he can do to stay as much as possible on this side of that divide would he that he would actively do so Mm -hmm. that's just my interpretation i we can see how well that plays out and i mean open to alternative suggestions. I think that's all interpretation. I don't think, I think there's potential other interpretations that could still be compatible with the story. So if you have one, share it. <laughs> no, I mean, those are the only sort of two that I came up with, but, um, but yeah, I like the kind of Tinkerbell aspect of it. You know, even if it's like her validation not even in a magical way, but just in a kind of psychological way, strengthens his, you know, sort of mm-hmm. tether to the world. Like, oh, mm-hmm. somebody cares enough to, you know, like, all right, finally somebody who's really going to fight for me. Um, yeah. And, and that kind of, for a moment, makes... Like, if he's being pulled in one direction, maybe that pulls him back, you know? Like, there's some connection here that can sort of tug him the other way or or even just gives him something to anchor to like maybe yeah, yeah. there's that part of it too yeah yep okay yep. um so the last thing and we'll try to just wrap up here is um i wanted to kind of point out the the bookends of the group dynamic um starting with you pointed out the uh, interesting, like, literal parallels of this sort of takeout scenes, you know, of their sort of night picnic, um, which is not really a picnic. It's like an excuse to get away from all the bugged offices and surveillance of mm-hmm. their employees. Um, and it's a lot of distrust among the group, like you know, like Angel's leadership is, you know, usually sort of questionable, but like, you know, there's, there are questions about like his decisions. There's um, Wesley kind of saying that Fred is too trusting of her lab staff and, and that Knox characters, like, you know, clearly very shady. Um, And, um, and, and then everybody's wondering, 
what the heck Gunn has been up to. Like, does he have access to information that he's not sharing? So there's all this sort of like suspicion and paranoia amongst and, each other too. And not just information, but like, right, or skills did, or powers or did, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Did they do something to him? Well, well and maybe even, I, I think there's a hint of a suggestion there that, Maybe he, even something he, he doesn't know about. Like, is, is there yeah. a Trojan horse in there somewhere? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, right. Like, many different avenues that, you know, doesn't even have to be something he intentionally is right. betraying them on. Um, so that's kind of a setup. And then um, we get this parallel echo um or sort of reverse echo at the end where they order takeout in Angel's office. And it's none of the tension is there. They're like very, probably the most they've been in entire seasons. They're relaxed and hanging out and, you know, joking and seeming to have a good time. And even Wesley is like one of the group again. Mm -hmm. um, and everybody yeah, seems like just, totally like comfortable and like this is the the gangs back together so there's no sense I, there's no sense of wesley having gone off on his own but but is that a, is that a result of nobody remembering connor oh interesting because that was the entire reason he was off by himself was because he kidnapped connor that is a refrigerator logic moment. That did not occur to me until just now. That makes perfect sense. So, not having seen the rest, my question then becomes, if so, then I would expect his betrayal to never come up again. So I'm curious whether it does. I, we'll have to watch. We'll have to it. wait and see. That's in, that's very interesting. Huh. Fascinating. Um, yeah. You Did you want to mention the scene with Lorne as the sort of pivot point between the two? I think you kind of yeah. mentioned... Yeah, yeah that there were one or two things to say about right. that. Right, so so there's the scene where, like, Gunn comes in and he's kind of, like, talking to Angel and Angel gets really kind of snippy with him. Mm -hmm. um, and Gunn sort of storms out and you get Lauren in his sort of usual humorous way of, you know, oh, it just got splashed with a heap of grouchy, you know, as, as Gunn sort of walks by. Um, and then um, sort of confronting... In in his kind, loving Lorne, you know, uh, empathic demon sort of way, kind of confronting Angel on, you know, his attitude and, uh, like you said, Angel isn't always the best leader. Um, I love the, you know, okay, Atlas, how about a shrug, right? Like, <laughs> um, you know, always broody, Angel sort of is like broodier than ever. Um, to the point where, like, he was just off and, like, Angel or uh, Gunn was just sort of talking about, like, 
yeah and so i sent it to you know santa claus and the north pole and you know like saying all the ridiculous things and angel not really paying attention yeah um so yeah i mean so long story short or lauren um kind of lays it all on the the immediate appearance of spike that like there was a certain uh deflation um you know letting the air out of the tires of angel's promotion to like ceo of the la branch of wolverham and hart by this like sudden appearance of spike who has always been a sort of emasculating presence for angel right, right. um right. they've never had like a really good relationship and um and so yeah maybe that's causing a bit of irritation um and so lauren's just kind of giving him this i don't know if pep talks the right work but like a reminder of like hey we're all on the same side and mm -hmm. i think i do think this is um the pivot point between the two picnics mm -hmm. or you know takeout scenes of you know again the first one sort of being like a faux picnic a, a an excuse to sort of get away and 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 show the mistrust not just of Wolfram and Hart but of each other um and then the realization of like hey we are actually all on the same side and I mean I, you know I think if you want to get into like the you know if this is the metaphor of like working in the business world kind of thing, like mm. that can certainly feel true where you've got different like divisions in a company who are working against each other or, you know, departments or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like kind of realizing, you know, like, Oh, Hey, like we all actually want to continue having jobs and make money and, and be successful. And so here, like, literally it's it's more like a reminder of the purpose of like why they're out here and and a reaction because i think you get in that first you know the first part of the bookend right you get the sense that i was kind of alluding to before with fred where she's like we want to do good stuff but we're so busy with sort of the administrative and bureaucratic mm -hmm. things going on that we don't have time to actually like do good and help the helpless and all of that and and i think like that like that's sort of the implication is that's the nefarious plan of wolfram and hart mm -hmm. is that you know how do you it's not like oh we'll give you all these resources so you can do whatever you want it's oh okay we'll give you everything and you'll get bogged down by the gears and sort of spit right. out the other end right. um be careful what you wish for here you want all these resources have them and see what it does to your you know see what yeah. it does to your group yeah so so i think i think this is lauren you know with his you know jenny craig for the soul coming in and sort of saying like like you have to stop trying to be everything to everyone like and you need to get back to realizing that we're all here to help you and you can rely on us and and i think when when that happens like you you know you start seeing the turnaround and it's you know played mm -hmm. out in the monster of the week stuff and mm -hmm. um all of that but but yeah by the end it's it's okay we are actually all a team again and there's sort of that i mean they so 
there's this sort of humorous uh, reverse logic of the vampire inviting everyone into his living sure. quarters, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's also the sense of because, like, that never. I mean, there might have been one or two times where like someone came into Angel's rooms, but that's that's yeah. kind of a new thing, right? right. Of like right. them all going to Angel's yeah. house and and hanging out. But there's also a sense of like. Like this is their new not not Wolfram and Hart, but like specifically like Angel's Living Quarters is maybe their new headquarters. This is mm. the new hotel and you know the office before that and, and all of the you know things where they've worked together is where they've had a place to kind of be themselves, be together, be somewhat relaxed, but also can just like work together as a team. Mm-hmm. And and it's interesting that you brought up kind of at the beginning of our discussion that the first couple episodes were were not like the monster of the week because i i do feel like we we talked a little bit about um i don't remember if it was the beginning of this season or, or the end of last season where we are kind of doing a reboot on the series of let's go back to the more procedural monster of the week stuff mm-hmm. in some kinds of ways um and i think last week's was a bit monster yeah. of the week as well with with sure. the with right. the, the, um, the necromancer guy the necromancer yeah thank you and and that but i definitely think that that you're right like that first season it, it was very high level arc kind of thing and now it's like okay like let's reestablish our footing get everyone back on the same page um because last week while it was the necromancer thing it really was a lot about spike and angel's relationship too it wasn't about like the team mm-hmm. dynamic mm-hmm. and so like now this is like okay we've we've established where we are at Wolfram and Hart and kind of like what's all involved with that. We've established Spike is back and sort of throwing some monkey wrenches into things. Yeah. Now let's coalesce the team and then see where we can go from here. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I think it works pretty nicely. I, I like that little scene with Lauren, even though it's fairly short. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Lauren's always kind of delightful and yeah, I feel like, We've never, we've not really gotten much of him. He, mm-hmm. He's kind of, he kind of seems to be the happiest of the bunch. I mean, maybe, maybe tied with Gunn, who seems pretty okay with where he is now. Mm-hmm. Um, but Lauren, like, seemed to take right away to his role as, yeah. like, the entertainment, you know, lawyer guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like because of that, we've seen a little less of him. Mm-hmm. So I like when he sort of steps in and, yeah. and, and that he steps in and still offers that same sort of empathic heart aspect Yeah, that is kind of his role as part of the team. Right. Um, it's not like, oh, he, he fits in at Wolfram and Hart because he's, you know, the most Wolfram and Hart-esque it's like, no, he hasn't really... I mean, if anything, Gunn has changed more in order to fit in mm-hmm. with his new role. Whereas, um, like, maybe not fundamentally, but he had to sort of accept certain terms and, you know, make certain steps in order to find a place. Whereas Lauren hasn't really changed. You know, he has just sort of remained himself. And, you know, again, therefore, his role in the group sort of has remained consistent. But yeah, like we haven't, he's been more in the background. So it is nice to kind of have him come to the forefront again. He is in the main cast after all. So 
you sure. need some screen time. Right. He he. So Lauren went into Wolfram and Hart and remained Lauren. If I could uh, use that sort of, uh, although he doesn't diminish. Sorry, that was a terrible uh, attempt to like tie it into a reference. Uh, yeah. Nonetheless, it happened. In <laughs> can't can't unhear it. I can't. I could edit it out later, but no, I'm, I'm not gonna. It's not worth it. Um. Okay. With that said, With maybe that. we should talk about class. <laughs> um. Yeah. Which means I start, right? Because yes. I'm the one who hasn't seen it before. Mm -hmm. Um. I'm going to do kind of the same thing. I'm just going to copy what you did. Um. And talk about the, mon good idea. the monster of the week aspect first. I'm hoping we don't talk for an hour about yeah. the monster of the week. Well, I don't. I, I feel. I hate to make predictions, but maybe. I mean, this is a good episode. I'm not saying it deserves to go short, but maybe, like, we don't have to, like. Yeah, you know, we can try to keep to our. As close to our two hour ideal as we possibly can. So, with that in mind. With that challenge given and accepted. Um, yeah, I, so the land kin. Um, number one, why is everything a kin? <laughs> um, a type of kin? It's a good question. I like, we've got the shadow kin, now we've got the land kin. I'm sure, like, we've had other kin types in Doctor Who. I can't think um, of any. Well, but maybe I, there have been. Well, we don't I mean, need to waste time with trying to remember this. It, it's things. a long-running show. I would be surprised if we didn't get some type of other kin sure. in the entire series. Um, okay. Anyway. Also, the the, uh, the name, speaking of the name, uh, I was wondering, is it related at all to, like, LAN as, like, a local area network? Like, how you connect a bunch of computers? I was just I was just thinking of that as like looking at all these tendrils they're kind of like little you know talking old school like wired computing um you know where you've got like all the little wires going out to all the homes and you mm -hmm. know making this sort of little network of uh connections I don't I would be surprised if that were true but I would also not be surprised if it were not true, true. Did I say that whatever right? yeah um Whatever the right way to say that is. Um, no, that's that's an interesting thought. Anywho, uh, whether so, or not yeah. it's true, it it, it works. Um, so so who are the landkin? As Tanya asks, um, and as Jasper replies, they gather souls. Uh, puddle. Uh, they gather our souls, or they can if we like. Um. So first of all, I I don't. I mean, they ref they. The landkin mm -hmm. refers to it themselves as they. So, mm -hmm. but it's not really because it's like one trunk with like all these little things going off. Right, so, right. I, I get um, unless we're, I mean, unless we think there are like other tendrils like in other rifts and other universes, you know, going out to other things. But then, like, where, do they all lead back to one thing? I don't know. Right, it's, I mean, it's that's a curious. Sort of, there's, Sorry, but... there's, well, there's one moment where that is implied that like they are, 
going into all the worlds or that they have multiple different either planets or dimensions or universes that they're reaching out into they say something about um like them not having you come to the humans much before um so the kind of the implication is that they've been feeding sort of elsewhere mm-hmm. but yeah i don't know does that mean that there's one entity that has branches and tendrils that are just infinitely long and reach out through rifts to all these different worlds or is it like there's one entity that is reaching through into london but then there's a separate one that's reaching into a different mm. planet or yeah i don't think we really get yeah I, and maybe it's, it's not never a, really established i don't think maybe it's not like a huge deal either um I almost, like, sort of the way I was thinking about it was, like, I wonder if it's kind of, like, um, whatever that, like, huge fungus is, like, that's, like, miles and miles, like, Mm -hmm. big and, like, you know, maybe it just, like, sends out its tendrils all over the universe and, you know, sometimes it has to snatch them back when uh, somebody runs into into it with a bus. Um, But, yeah, like, that was... occasionally. That was sort of the thought, like... Like, it's sort of this, you know, thing that's sort of, like, running through all these dimensions, but it's ultimately just, like, one big organism with, you know, right different arms or heads or whatever that pop up in, in the different <sighs> worlds. Well, and I feel like whether or not it is plural, like, different beings or entities, it has to kind of say it is, because if it says if it kind of speaks of itself as I, then that doesn't work with the kind of temptation of these ghosts, right? Like, I feel like it it has to present itself as plural. Like, like we are the souls of, like, if if, if this is Jasper's trying to convince Tanya that he's really who he says he is, it doesn't really work to say, like, I am now part of the sole entity that is, you know, whatever. Like oh, and can, yeah. it, it has to be that they are many and they've gathered us together and we're part of that now. And there's a very kind of pluralistic, like mm-hmm. we're together, but we're still separate. Like, yes, I've become part of this community, but I haven't lost my identity in doing that. Whereas I think as soon as he infers that his identity's gone, then the ruse is over, you know. Um, then it's that, no, it's stealing his form or his persona in order to right. tempt her. And and even, because like there's the moment where Tanya implies that it's just reading her mind, which mm-hmm. isn't isn't necessarily denied like he's like okay yes that might be true which is kind of like oh wait so are you actually doing that or like is this a psychic paper kind of thing Mm -hmm. like it's taking the form that you expect to see kind of thing um Mm -hmm. which totally seems like a valid possibility um yeah so 
no, I think I think all that I think I think that makes sense. Um, what you said about it not um, like that it have to sort of maintain uh, it has to sort of maintain the the illusion of this you know multitude of beings or mm-hmm. else people would sort of know that it's not what it says it is that that mm-hmm. they're not what they say they mm-hmm. whatever the right way to say um, and i guess i mean the, this question's only really occurring to me now so i guess that kind of gives away my answer but are we we're are we totally convinced by the end that there's no truth in what it's saying like we've seen soul collecting things in doctor who before right like we just had the twice (laughs) upon a time finale where very recently very recently you know there was that episode where it's like it's it's their memories that get collected and we can debate about is that really them or not um or there was uh the cloud you know which was a similar idea of like we upload the souls of the dead into this sort of database um And that was the one that I was thinking of more than the other. Sure, sure. So, um, I mean, I think in both of those cases, there's some truth to the fact that it is really the souls of the departed, even if it's not the whole truth. Um, Do you think there's... Nothing but the truth. Yeah. Do you think there's any truth to this? Or is this a complete, like, where it's a complete trick? Um, sure. Yeah. Um, gut, gut feeling. I think, I think it, I mean, I think I gave away my thought when I said the psychic paper thing. Sure. <laughs> like, I, I think that's where, like, if I had to place my money and right. I don't know if we'll ever see right. this. On how creature. it works. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if we'll ever see this creature again. Um, just like you didn't know if we'll ever see Mina again. Mm-hmm pause for you to tell me if maybe no oh um, i don't think so no, I, not, as far, not yet that, anyway i was i was i was mostly just joking maybe there, but, um, will bring him back but yeah right sure well i mean well we know like class ends, yeah right? I, I i don't think they show up again um, in class yeah so uh yeah i mean that would be my guess is that it's that it's more a psychic thing than a like a a database of minds that they've harvested from like dead people. But I mean, like you said, like there's technology that has done the sort of thing it claims to do. So, Mm -hmm. um, and actually, I mean, what I find interesting, you mentioned the souls. I mean, the other kin that we've run into in class, the shadow kin have been looking at, is, am I, is that right? Is it Shadowkin? Am I? Yeah. Am I? Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know why I had a moment of doubt there. Um, <laughs> the the Shadowkin are also looking for souls, but they're looking for souls. I mean, they like okay, so they go kill like all the Charlie's people um, and the Quill people um, in order to collect their souls. You know, and instead the souls get sort of collected in this cabinet of souls, which Charlie lies and says is empty. Um, or, I mean, it seems not to be empty, like we see in that moment when he opens it. I guess technically we don't know if those are souls, but 
if you can talk to them and they sort of are floaty light things, then I guess you could sort of call them souls. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, so all of that to say that like the landkin aren't going after the cabin of souls. Like, do they know that that exists? Or, like, would they? Would that be something that they could feed off of in the same way? Because mm. one of the things that I wonder is, and why I think that it's actually, you know, more a psychic thing than like a soul thing is, I don't think, I don't know that I believe any of the stuff that they say about, you know, symbiosis and like harvesting the soul and like all of that and you know going on to meet your family later and, mm -hmm. and all of the things sort of jasper says to tanya um or you know fake jasper says to tanya um they i think it, they're just leeches they're just parasites like mm -hmm. i i think that they just take people and eat them up and then like discard them i don't like once that person's gone, I don't think that there's like a memory or a vestige of them. At least yeah. that's the implication that I get. Um, and that's maybe a lot of headcanon in there, but to me, it's not like, oh, we're harvesting your soul and we'll like sort of preserve it. And in, in return, like you feed us for a while. Like it's, right. I just think it's, it's no, they're telling them that in order to get them to touch them. And then once once they sort of reach out and touch them and sort of give their, well, we can talk about the weird sort of consent thing that sometimes they're bound to and sometimes aren't, it seems. Mm, yeah. Um, but like, I, I don't get the sense that like, they're um, preserving in any way the sort of memories or soul yeah. of the people that they take. I think it's just, I think it's just all a ruse to get them to reach out and touch them. Yeah, I, I think I agree. Like, I wanted to kind of float the possibility since we have seen those kind of similar technologies before, but this one seems much more straightforwardly just a lie. Um, and, like, pretty much exposed for that in this episode um and like we see like you said what happens to the people that either are sort of grabbed or accept you know and it doesn't really look like what was promised so right. um yeah right. um i yeah it's definitely not a good idea to go with the land kid um so the other thing so yeah so let's talk about that consent thing because it like there is this sort of weird like you have to accept me i can't just like take mm. you but then there's like oh well he wasn't like fully accepting of like so i'm thinking back to um you know like the the pyramid storyline mm -hmm. and all of that of like you know you have to like fully accept us and like right. be sincere in your love for us and all of that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, this is like, it's okay if you're only like 75% sure, which is yeah. weird. I mean, but again, maybe that, maybe they're just lying. So like, 
but if they are lying, why don't they just take people? <laughs> like, so I don't, like, I'm not sure I fully get how it's supposed to work, but I, maybe it doesn't matter that much either. I um, mean, I don't know that I fully understand it, but I feel like it has something to do with like, maybe kind of similar to that pyramid, like monk scenario, like something about the purity of the emotion, like the best feed comes if Tanya, like it, it, not that they couldn't just reach out and grab her, but that it wouldn't be as satisfying mm. a, a meal in a way. Like they kind of talk about the, 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 the grief of humanity of like, mm -hmm. uh, I've never felt a species so in love with closure is what they say. Um, and they feed on, I feed on your release. Like the best sort of result comes from Tanya or whoever choosing to, you know, embrace their lost loved one. Like that gives the most pure emotional sort of reaction for them to feed on. So, like, that's kind of how I would read it, is, like, they could just reach out and grab her, but they'd only, you know, get so much out of that. So they would rather that she, you know, Which, get to the emotional point where she's, she's convinced enough to, you know, reach out and hug her father. Um, I wasn't thinking of this before, but... I think then that that aligns well with the with what I was saying about the psychic aspect mm -hmm. to who they are because mm -hmm. because then it then it becomes like yeah like their emotional state their their psychic state is a key yeah you know to its own nourishment yeah so to speak yeah I think that makes sense that's how I would sort of read it um interesting which kind of makes you then wonder all these people around town that are sort of wrapped up well so that's the other thing that like, i was going to say like did why... it just reach out and grab them or did these people all sort of succumb to the temptation and 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 that's the implication with uh tanya's mother right, right is that right. she sort of in bed and yeah like that so that was going to be the other thing that i was going to say was like i'm not clear on why some are sort of snatched away and presumably like dragged into the rift or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Versus the ones who are just sort of like left where they are and sort of wrapped up, you know, yeah, mummified right. state mm -hmm. of presumably still alive, but like being fed on. Right. And I don't know. Other than it's scary. I don't know. Right. I, I Other don't know than that like, I, like I feel oh like my we, gosh, they get taken to some place we don't know where they went. I feel like we've found some pretty good headcanony rationalizations for a lot of these questions, and that's one that it's like I'm not really sure that I like. Yeah, maybe it needs to feed on some more quickly, whereas others it can take its time. I don't know. I'm just sort of speculating, but yeah. I, and that's fine. Um, 
Yeah. So anyway, I mean, as far as the landkin itself goes, I mean, they talk about souls, but I don't, I don't actually think they're feeding on souls. And mm-hmm. that's so like, cause like, I want like if Charlie came out and was like, okay, here's a cabinet full of souls. Um, I don't think they could take that. Right. Like I don't like I don't get the sense that that would be yeah something they would be interested in. And so in that sense yeah I think it is they are different from like the shadow kin yeah. the kin part of their name notwithstanding. Yeah. No, it does seem to be more about the emotion of the survivor rather than the soul of the departed. Like especially if we seem to agree that there are no dead people involved in this at all. Um, it's definitely, it's more about manipulating the person they're visiting into a kind of emotion that gives them this energy. Mm -hmm. Um, and the way they go about the manipulation, you know, the better they can get it, the better the feed is like the more the person can become convinced and find some sort of closure or catharsis in this conversation um that seems to be what their like best case sort of scenario is Mm -hmm. um which is what tanya kind of figures out and denies it right like she kind of tricks it into thinking she's gonna give it that like you know the closure of hugging her father and then kind of turns it into non-closure into like how can she feel all of the anger and the betrayal and the frustration of his death um Mm -hmm. so none of the the peace with it that she is in the process of finding but all of the kind of negative emotion that came from that and that seems to have some sort of a poisonous effect on at least the that immediate branch of the landkin that she's attached to Mm -hmm. right and then quill runs over the main branch (laughs) of the car so that takes care of the rest of them right um which, you know, I mean, we talked about sort of the resolution of Angel. Like, again, it's like, okay. Yeah. Like, that's fine, I guess. But it's a little simplistic. Sure. <laughs> um, well, they do such a good job of, I actually think they do a really good job in this episode of making it just seem huge and just like, impossibly vast and complicated and like there's all these different tendrils and vines and where are they all going and there's just like millions of them and all this stuff and then so then the idea that like we we found the main one that's across a road and she can kind of run over it with a bus like it's fine but it it doesn't quite do justice to the scope of the idea and and the fact that like in other parts of it you've got like like it's like this self healing thing mm-hmm. right um except 
when you like cut off the hand, which then sort of like disintegrates and disappears. So it's just it's just some of those weird like little inconsistencies of like how it actually works. Like I, I almost would have liked it better if just like like either one way or the other. Either like it self heals or it like always mm-hmm. like sort of disintegrates when it's detached from the main body. And so like theoretically you could like cut Tanya's mother from the cord and like it would all disintegrate and she would sort of wake up and stuff. Mm-hmm. But like every time they like sort of cut it with a knife or something, it all self heals. So yeah. it's just again like it's just sort of a weird inconsistent right, right. treatment of the whole thing. Uh, yeah. you know, whatever. It's fine. Um whatever it's fine. <laughs> um Right. So, yeah, I think, I, any last thoughts about the Lankin? Like, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't have expected to see it. Back. Like, I would have been surprised if you were like, oh, yeah, we totally see this again. Because um, it is just, I mean, it is just sort of a really generic, like, tendril thing that comes out. I mean, yes, it comes out and, like, sort of forms the different people. But other than that, I... I want to talk a little bit about like how, and we don't have to spend too long on any one, but mm-hmm. like, I mean, it's really just Tanya and Jasper and then Quill and her sister. Mm-hmm. Um, so in particular, I think, you know, we learned some stuff about Tanya and like her father. Right. So, um, I mean, we get sort of before the story, you know, this is the two year anniversary and it seems like, it seems really poignant for her story. Uh-huh. But of but of course, like the timing of this is then has to just be random for like everybody else in the story. Mm, right. You know what I mean? Like right. like it's significant to her because it's the two year anniversary. But you it's know clearly- what? they I think there's a line about them being drawn to Tanya, probably like, because of the anniversary. Like, like her specifically because of her right. three. I do remember that. Yeah, that and then that. everybody else is sort of, well, you happen to be here, so we might as well feed on you as well. But like her, right. the 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 signal she was giving off was the most sort of noticeable sure. at the moment. And fair enough. I mean, I guess in that like there you've got sort of this like like epic grief, right? Which you know all teenage girls feel at one point or another. She is 14. All all, all teenagers feel at one point or another. I shouldn't limit it to girls only. But um, yeah, I mean, like everything, all of your emotions are epic at that age, right? Um, So maybe that's possible. Um, I think, yeah, so anyway, so, so you're right. I had forgotten that like there was that moment of, sort of calling her out specifically that her grief was greater than than everyone else's and then it's like yeah like well if we're here you know you're gonna go to the grocery store you might as well pick up everything you need for the week like you're not just gonna get one thing and then right there's some later there's some impulse shopping happening around sure or or i mean they might have made a list beforehand but it's you know it's just like there's the one thing you really need to get and then like the sort of the other stuff like just to stock up for later right um yeah, and I mean, so, 
really interesting. I mean, I think what they do with her sort of, not that I think, you know, we wouldn't expect her to be, you know, sort of hesitant and everything. Like, I mean, so it's not the first alien she's run across. So, you know, uh, and like, she doesn't seem to be the kind of person who sort of, uh, you know, what little we know about her so far, it doesn't seem to be the kind of person who sort of easily, you know, sort of swayed by things. Like she's very smart. She questions things. She's, uh, you know, just not someone who's sort of maybe immediately trapped mm-hmm. by, illu- you know, illusions and uh, fake stories or whatever. But I mean, on the other hand, she is 14. Mm-hmm. Like, so, you know, yeah, we wouldn't necessarily blame her if she was like, yeah, especially given how many other people are. The like, story. She has to investigate it a little bit right. at least, you know. And and I think as you go on, you do get that sense of like, not even that she believes it, but it's just like, you know, even if there's like a one in a million chance that she could like reconnect with her dad, like maybe, maybe it's just. Right. If there's any possibility, then she can't just write it off. Um, my, my daughter and I the other day happened to catch um, part of Dumb and Dumber as it was on. And there's that scene, um, you know, where... Uh, I forget her character name in the story where where Mary, I think it is, right? Where she's like, yeah, it's like one in a million chance, and and of course, right? You know, Jim Carrey's character is like, so you're saying there's a chance, right? Anyway, um, yeah, here, not there. All yeah. of that to say that, like, that's sort of I think where Tanya gets to at yes. the end, right? Like, like maybe you're saying there's a chance, like even if it's like, what's the real risk here? Um. At least that's the implication. But then I think we see by the fact that, like, she does turn it around. Like, like maybe there's a sense of, you know, how dare you use my father in an attempt to trap me? Like, maybe she's not ever fooled. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I think in retrospect, I think that's where I think she does go. Is that, like, oh, you, you want to play on my emotions. I'm going to get really, really angry about mm-hmm. this. Right. Oh, and I can get emotional. Right sure and like in a way that you're totally unprepared for mm-hmm. um and maybe if 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 you want to read it that she's never really convinced then it could be a okay that keep this thing talking and let it expose its own weaknesses and you know like the more she learns about sure. it you know the very doctorish like okay let's <laughs> see what it's you know, the more it reveals about itself, the more she'll have an idea of how to defeat it. Um, so, or there's maybe it's, she doesn't know and she's just keeping her options open. So she's simultaneously trying to see if there's any chance that this could be real. And also, okay, it doesn't hurt to also learn as much about it as I can as I go. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um So yeah, uh, we learn um, we learn a little bit just sort of about her father and stuff, and um, I, don't, I mean I don't I don't know how much like we need to talk through like any of the specifics, but like 
Yeah, I mean, just I don't like, think we need to go too deep. About, but. Yeah, just like about his his mom sort of, or her mom being sort of worried about him and, and the, that kind of stuff. And then, um, I, I forget, do we do we actually find out how her father dies at some point? Is it here or did we uh, already know? I think it was like a stroke or a heart attack or something like that like something just sort of sudden and yeah i couldn't remember if there was like in the montage or something or or where exactly but no um, somebody mentions it at some point but i don't remember where i oh well in when she was telling the story to ram in the previous episode she kind of says that they were having dinner and he was fine and then he just wasn't like so something sort of just hit him okay at dinner time you know, randomly one day. Yeah. So to that point though, um, the fact that like her mom's really, you know, concerned and, you know, scared about his being a cop Mm -hmm. and being out sort of what, but then it's like this sort of mundane kind of at the Mm -hmm. dinner table, you know, event. And so, yeah, just like that idea too of like the the sort of where do you place your fears and and what's actually you know kind of mm-hmm. the real source of of pain and all of that. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't know that I have anything profound there to say. Just we learn a few details like that about sort of her past. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Any anything you want to add to that part? Uh, no, I don't think so. Nope. Um, so moving on to Alice and well, actually let's move on to Quill and her sister real quick. I don't have a ton to say about them. Yeah. Um, I love the, uh, Quill reading the hunger games and like wondering if it's real Yeah, that um, was at the beginning. Um, yeah, this kind of strange look at this bizarre upsetting book. Like, yeah, she can't quite figure it out. We learn Quill's real name. Which I I had sort of thought about this before, like Quill is the actual name of the race, but they call her Quill, right? right? So yes. is that? It's not like it's not like her last name, right? It's not like right. It's not like I would be like Curtis Human or something, right? right? Like right. No, I assume that that's the name, like the doctor sort of suggests as a as a you know pseudonym for her to live by, like. Or maybe right. she chose it herself. I'm not sure, but like, yeah, it's just Miss Quill. But really, that's the name of her species, right? Um. But yeah, so we get uh, and Andrew and and Andrea, something what, what like is that. Something like that. Um. And uh, <laughs> no one knows that name. No one alive knows that name. <laughs> like. There's a hint there, not just of like, yes, all my people have died, but also like that maybe she's killed a few people who have learned her name, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, with you know, there's sort of the double entendre there, um, right? And we find out that her and her sister didn't exactly have, like, they had a kind of violent relationship, which sounds typical of their people, anyway. Sure, sure, but also that. Charlie doesn't know her real name. Mm. The implication seems to be. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, 
unless that's just like a faux pas, like, you know, a little flub there. But I mean, right. that seems to be the implication that, that Charlie doesn't even know her actual name. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little doctorish having a, 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 yes. a hidden name. And that's where I was going to go next, right? Although, well, I mean, I guess technically we can theorize that somebody at some point knew the doctor's name as well, right? But, like, um, you would presume that more people knew Quill's name sure. at some point. Like, yeah, yeah. that the re- I, I mean, joking right. about, like, maybe like, it's like her dwarves, killing people like, aside, like, yeah. some people knew her name at some point. Maybe it's, like, dwarves, like... They have secret names, sure. but nobody outside is allowed to know what their real names right. are or something. And it's just that everyone who kind of knew her real name is now dead. Right, right. Um, For one reason or another. Right, through her <laughs> hand or others. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so I mean, which is, so I wasn't thinking of this before, but if we're reading Tanya as never really believing jasper or you know lankin jasper mm-hmm. jasper um and sometimes i when also you think sometimes when you say lankin i hear romo lampkin by the way <laughs> um i also believe that that quill doesn't ever fall into the trap yeah like i i think she's suspicious from the beginning mm-hmm. um and and definitely stays that way the entire time like i think and and we get the sort of the relief i guess of that she feels when charlie finally like comes downstairs Mm -hmm. um after his very you know long sex session with matt Mm -hmm. um and uh you know she can finally be like oh okay you're in danger now so i can do things to this creature um like it, like that's definitely seems to me more of a biding your time until you can make your move situation than than Tanya. Mm-hmm. Tanya, I think doesn't ever believe, but I I think is less sort of duplicitous and, uh, you know, yeah, strategic in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Tanya's at least. Even if she's dubious, she's interested in exploring the possibilities. Whereas Quill, yeah, there's no real interest in, you know, even curiosity about it. She's just completely disbelieving and, like, purely, um, like you said, just biding her time until she can make her move. Um. Which, like... For a monster that preys on emotion and sentiment seems about right. That Quill's the least likely to be, you know, even more than Tanya, who's clearly very rational and very bright. um, Quill's the least likely to be duped by this kind of emotion and, you know. um, Mm -hmm. Which makes you wonder why the land can go to her because like they don't go to everybody that's true they don't go to to um charlie Mm -hmm. and they don't go to alice 
Matt has a moment where he thinks he sees his parents, right? No, I think that's Charlie, isn't it? Oh, is it Charlie who does that? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. maybe I got it. So, okay. Okay, that makes more sense because his parents are actually dead. Um, <laughs> right. right. And I maybe it's just as simple as that. Like, who are the ones who've had close people die? Like, loved ones so, who've died. Right, because Alice's father isn't dead. Right. He's in prison. Right. Right. She right. has unsettled feelings about him, but he's still alive. He's still alive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I, that's kind of how I would take it as just a, like, it's not like Quill's chosen over anybody else. It's just that, all right, they have some close family member that they can at least give it a go and, but don't necessarily realize what they're signing up for with Quill, you know, who, yeah, waits for Charlie and then gets him to stab it in the hand with a screwdriver, which feels like a very deliberate choice of tool. Um, sure. A sort of a regular not, screwdriver, but she's sort of sonic, a, but. Yeah, she's sort of a cracked mirror doctor, you know, like sort of nameless, violent, you know, screwdriver weaponry and everything. Like she's not like the positive mirror of what the doctor is. Sure. Um, yeah. So, but I mean, I think she doesn't like seem to believe any of it. Um, and you know, we get later, like, you know, uh, yeah, the obvious contentiousness um, with her sister, but also like, so what's interesting here is she, she picks up on it because the land can makes her sister nicer uh, than she actually was in real life. Right. Like, you know, nobody, you know, nobody gets away with making my sister nice or whatever, mm -hmm. however she words that. Mm -hmm. Um, no one disgraces the memory of my sister by making her nice. And so that's interesting because it must mean she's not, the Landkin are not fully reading off solely the psychic mm. nature. And I wonder if that's sure. a trans, yeah. I wonder if that's a translation of the human aspect of it. Mm. Like, if they're making sort of assumptions about, you know, right. how humans respond to right. memories and stuff. And so maybe where, it's where like... human grief is, where you sort of view someone with rose-tinted glasses once they've moved on. You know, once they've passed away, you have just your nice idealized memories of what they are. And Quill's the one to say, like, nah, she wasn't that nice. Right, because she's not human. Right, right. And and maybe, like, the landkin or this, like, tendril of the landkin isn't, like, properly attuned, you know, to, like, it, like it's attuned to human psychosis or psyche, not psychosis, um, rather than, you know, quill right. psyche. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, 
but yeah, just because I think that's the only indication that we get that like, like I think we're led to believe, and I think we can believe that like Jasper seems at least authentic, even mm-hmm. even if Tanya picks up like that there's something wrong and it's not him that it's not because of the way he's like acting or mm-hmm. the things that he's saying. Whereas that explicitly seems to be the case with mm-hmm. Will's sister. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else about sort of their relationship or any, you know, what we learn about Quill? Um, no, the only thing to finish with is the, um, the, just the ending there of uh, I'm a warrior of the quill race and a warrior needs a gun that sort of. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was, so I was thinking specifically of the, um, her conversation with the language. Sure. So, sure. No, I don't, um, I don't think there's anything more that we didn't cover. The, yeah. Cause so there's two things. So yes, the, the warrior bit. But there's also the moment where she's like watching the others right after the sort of defeat. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure entirely how I read that. So maybe I can like turn back on you like the like you asked me about the spike thing. Like maybe I can turn it back on you because I'm not I'm not sure I 100 percent know how to like read that mm-hmm. as far as. There's a bit there where I'm I'm almost feeling like. Does she feel left out? Like, mm-hmm. this, is she sort of wishing she could be part of the group because, like, she's, like, the adult and isn't really one of them and maybe wishes she could be them? But then it's, like, she gets really annoyed and walks away, which doesn't necessarily mean that's not the case. But, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, I, I, I have to be honest and say I don't remember what how I felt when I first watched it, but definitely watching this time, I had that same um, sense that like the initial moment wasn't annoyance. Like the initial reaction was a little disappointment, you know, or whatever, you know, FOMO or something. A little FOMO. She had a little moment of FOMO. Um, Yeah, of kind of, like, just looking a little crestfallen, you know, that there's something that she's not being included in, which I think we've seen her complain about not being included in the sense of, won't people listen to me when my part of the story is more important than yours? But it's always been just a pure kind of irritation, Um, whereas I feel like the look is a little bit more envy you know um or yeah or just sort of bummed that she's sort of not a part of that um but like she's not a part of it because she doesn't go over and be a part of it (laughs) right like i mean that's that's the other aspect too that i feel like yeah is is part like she could be part of it all she needs to do is walk over there but she doesn't. She just sort of watches from afar and then gets right. annoyed. Well, it's not a mature reaction, but it, <laughs> right. it, it sure. is a reaction. <laughs> we would never accuse Quill of that. No. No. Um, <clears throat> yeah. 
Right. And so, and, and then, yeah, sort of the moment you allude to at the end of she's a warrior and she, you know, and a warrior needs a gun. Um, is that, so are we, do you think that she, so I'm sure this is like getting into like spoilery question territory. So maybe it's just best to say, you know, watch and see, Mm -hmm. but, um, is this like a moment of her, like defiance of her being attached to Charlie and like not being alone? Or is it more like the feeling, like a feeling of helplessness because she couldn't do anything about, you know, the land can until, Mm -hmm like, Charlie came down and was, like, technically in danger and all of that. Hmm. Um, well, I mean, part of it is... Or both. (laughs) I I, I kind of am tempted to say all of that, yes. It's a general yes. Like, it's probably a little bit of both. It's probably that we should wait and see and try to bring it up again. I probably in the moment of rewatching it this time would lean more towards the like her resentment of her situation like part of the you know maybe irritation with herself for even being interested in in relationships with these human teenagers is mm. to like to rebel against the confines of this agreement that the doctors sort of put on her um you know that like you know you're gonna stay here and you're gonna protect these kids and just her general sort of dislike of that situation and that she Mm -hmm. has no control over it um so I read it more as that but I don't know that 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 they're mutually exclusive so um Sure. Yeah, so let's keep an eye on that for the next episodes. Alrighty. Um, yeah. Should we finish uh, up with uh, the uh, with the couples really quickly? Yeah. Uh, actually, let's do Charlie and Matt real quick. Um, oh, okay. They they are in bed a lot. Yeah. Um. Matt staying with them now and Quill's kind of cool with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like I, Matt has a you know tough relationship with his dad. Not the first time a father's been upset that his son is gay. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, I don't mean to like make light of that, but like I don't, I don't know that there's a lot to like dissect there. Sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, and their storyline has the least to do with the kind of monster of the week. Um, like, it's more like they're just kicking up their relationship to another notch. It's it's not that their conversations are on the sort of night visiting theme, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I and, mean, other, well, than, I other mean, than the broad kind of... Other than he's visiting at night. Well, um. this is true. Actually, that's a good point because in the very little Google research I was trying to do quickly before we started, the, the night visiting... Shh, don't tell people I our know, secrets. I completely outed myself. 
the night visiting genre of folk song, which April so helpfully suggests. Describes, yeah. Um, oh, I called her Alice earlier. I don't know why I said that. Oh, I noticed that. And I was like, what's <laughs> Alice? And then we kind of moved on. Um, it, I just realized when you said that. <laughs> that's funny. I don't um, know why. Uh, she's a nice girl. You don't have to. Just like, what's her name again? Alice? Um, what was I saying? So night visiting. Yeah. Um, there seems to be some overlap in the kind of traditional folk ballads between the kind of ghost story of which April uh, alludes and the kind of um, lover who comes visiting at night, mm. sort of Romeo and Juliet style, like quick have sure. your marriage night and then when the sun rises you have to like climb out the window um so you can like it seems like there's a natural evolution between the two like you know maybe songs about lovers who visit at night and then have to leave when the morning comes very easily can evolve into a story about a dead lover who comes and visits at night you right. know so there's definitely some there's some fuzzy lines, but I think that's, I hadn't really thought of it that way, but yeah, um, Mateusz, it, it does fit on the, like, living lover scenario of the night visiting scene. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Although he gets to stay when the morning comes, he's, which is, he's, uh, yeah, yeah, unlike the ghosts, unlike Romeo and all the you know doomed lovers like he actually like gets invited and and seems like he's going to be hanging out more so that's right. a, like a, a positive spin on the story he's a visitor every night right he can be an all-the-time visitor um yeah no that's interesting i i wasn't familiar with that aspect of it um of course everything i know about night visiting genre of folk tunes is um you know described in this episode so <laughs> sure well apparently there's a, a a child ballad um called uh the night visitor i think um or night visiting song that's what it is night visiting song is one of the uh the famous child ballads so so um, is the is the music that she plays like a, a traditional folk song or something is that i don't know that's a good question. I don't, that I don't know the answer to. Um, but what I do know is that the, uh, the song that plays over the montage in the beginning, um, mm -hmm. is, um, by a, a guy called Jim Moray, who had a song called Night Visiting and then kind of wrote a, so a version did an arrangement specifically for this episode um which is the version that you hear in the montage um called night visitor so um yeah so certainly that part is i don't know whether april's tune is a traditional like you know folk tune or whatever but um and I'm trying really hard, and I'm going to fail, uh, to not reference It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with the the Night Man Cometh 
song. I don't sure. know if you're I, I've with. seen that episode. So yeah, <laughs> that reference, I get it. I, I get that reference. Um, anyway. So, um, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that is all interesting. I, yeah, I mean, again, I know very little about that genre of music or anything, but it, I mean, I would just like, not to make too much assumptions, but that seems to me like a very sort of like northern folksy kind of yeah. like, you know, type of tradition, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't, like, you can sort of see, like, the, there's, like, obviously, like, the death sort of impacts, but also sort of, like, maybe the fairy or, like, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, a folk tale kind of yeah. aspects to it. All yeah, kind which, of in the same. yeah, those, those um, child ballads always have some kind of, you know, English or even Scottish sort of Celtic fairy mythology sort of wrapped up within them. So, mm -hmm. um, right. so finally, April. Yeah. And Ram. Yeah. Um, are a thing now? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Seems, yeah, to be developing into a thing. At least um, potentially. Sure. Right, I mean, you know, there's some chemistry mm -hmm. um, and some spittle uh, being swapped there. Uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, you get the sense that, uh, sorry, almost, I think my dog's like dreaming or something. <laughs> weird like she's like making noises. making noises um chasing something yeah anyway so um <laughs> the the so ram like starts out like trying to get a hold of tanya right and she's not available so mm -hmm. he go he, he finally like gets a hold of april to like help with physics homework and then um Like, she's trying to help him. He's not being real helpful. <laughs> or, like, he's not, like, sort of... He, like, it, it, he seems more interested. And you get the sense that, like, this is what happens with Tanya, too, right? Of, like... Like, he just wants to, like, have the thing done. And, like, sort of talk through his, like, problems and feelings. Right, right. <laughs> and, like, April's kind of... Not, like, wholly brushing him off there. But, like, trying to keep him on task and right, stuff. Right, Um Right. But then, right? There's always something more important to worry about. Yeah. But then, um, Rachel, his dead girlfriend, mm -hmm. um, shows up at the window after some weird knocking, um, and that doesn't go well. And of, and and you get another like, see the monster through the computer mm -hmm. moment, um, which we've had at least mm -hmm. a couple times already. Um, I feel like it's a theme. Uh, which makes it like it, it's a nice simple device for have one person who can like see the monster and respond without like actually being immediately in danger and so can 
sort of go rouse the others. Yeah. Um, a little weird the way it does sort of like the ring thing of like sort of like skipping around the room and then like right. suddenly appearing in front of the monitor. Because like you don't get the sense that that's how they actually move any other time in the... I, I thought it was just Skype freezing for a moment. Maybe. And then by the time it unfreezes, she's like at the monitor. It seems a little too. Uh, all right, that's fine. That's a fair headcanon way, I guess, of describing it. Not that I have any experience with problematic Skype sessions or anything. All right. I mean, you know that thing where it pauses and then it tries to catch up really fast, and like the other person, like seems like they don't speak for a second and then it's like and then it like catches up to like real time mm. that's what it kind of reminds me of like like there was a little bloop in the in the connection and uh it made her move in a really creepy way okay i i get what you're saying it seemed to me more like i, I mean and not that it can't be both I I read it as that like horror genre thing of like watching through the screen and like there's like a weird sort of mystical thing happening where you know the entity like can sort of move around really fast or like teleport or skip around or whatever. Sure. But like that's not how the land can move any other time. So sure. it just seemed And don't me. get me wrong, I think it is trying to be the ring. I just think that they're kind of using the technology to kind of find a like reason for why it might move that way. Um, so anyway, I think it, I, I, I guess I'm in the, uh, it's both sort of camp. Sure. Sure. All right. So um, now that we've, now that we figured out the Skype issue with this episode, because we clearly needed to get into that aspect of it. Um, very important that we settled that debate. I did not think we were going to go two and a half hours on these two episodes of all the one. Yeah, no, I, so, I mean, there's, you talked a lot about the um, folk stuff already, which April, you know, talks about and sort of her dad's um, connection to that, which is also kind of her connection to that, but also like her sort of owning it, like, and making it her own. Mm-hmm. you know away from her dad because mm-hmm. we get the sense that like she's not too pleased with her father mm-hmm. um based right. on the based on the story um that she tells and and of him being the one to cause her mother's paralysis and and get sent to jail for that mm-hmm. um which is so we didn't really know before but like, i mean we we knew that her mom was in a wheelchair because mm-hmm. we've we saw that, but we didn't know how that happened necessarily, right. or right. at least the details around it. And um, it's an interesting thing. So, like, if you've got like um, Tanya's father, you know, being killed in sort of the or you know dying in this sort of mundane way, mm-hmm. um, you've got April's anger, which which again we've got sort of the the composed woman mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who's 
you know, saying things like, I'm always at war. And, you know, mm-hmm. kind of having these underlying feelings of, I, too bad we didn't make a connection between them. There's probably a quote there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I actually did suggest the quote, I'm always at war for oh, a title. Darn, but, I didn't quite get it, but, now, but I, I didn't, now I get it. Well, and I don't know that I did either, because I'm just sort of like thinking this stuff through yeah. as I'm talking about it. But but you do sort of have these two women who are, um, you know, sort of composed, like I said, and, and but underneath maybe having these feelings of not being able to control or, or needing to always sort of like fight their way or, or, you know, there being some sort of violent tendency that could erupt at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. It's interesting. And, yeah. and, and seeing that, you know, the source of that is this, or at least one source of that, probably the primary source of that is, uh, you know, her father and, and the, the way in which, you know, her mother gets paralyzed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that it wasn't even just that he was the cause of this thing, but that it was like deliberate choices on his part that he was sort of absent. He was drunk a lot and that he was suicidal. And so not only wanted to hurt himself, but deliberately endangered his family as well mm-hmm. so like yeah it, in case you had any sense of maybe she could forgive him it's like there's a lot of strikes against sure april's dad there um and like yeah. i i i, I want to be careful because i don't want to say anything like too um insensitive or anything about you know people who might be suicidal or or have feelings like that but like there's that sense in which like she could maybe forgive him if that was it Mm -hmm. like if like like it's one thing to be suicidal and and feel like you want to kill yourself and and maybe even potentially take action to do it but it's it's the you know hurting others in the process Mm -hmm. that seems to be the unforgivable thing Mm -hmm. and i don't mean to say that like she wouldn't be upset or angry or anything if he had just done that on his own, you know, uh, you know, to himself or whatever. But yeah, just that sense of, you know, that he tried to take out his wife and daughter too. And like, and, and you hear these stories of like people, often mothers, um, Mm -hmm. who, like drive their cars into the water with their, you know, children strapped in the back seat or whatever. Um, just like things like that, where it's like, you could, you could understand like the, the feeling of sadness and, you know, depression or whatever, but then, you know, to use that to like hurt other people is kind of the right un- unforgivable or, or at least un. Like, that's the thing that I feel like a lot of people have a hard time identifying with. Right, right. Would be hard to understand. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and certainly April, in this case, seems yeah. to be. I'm just going to keep saying April until I get the desire to say Alice out of my head. I noticed uh, 
you have Alice in our little outline here. <laughs> I don't um, which know. is probably how it got into your head in the first place. Yeah, I don't know why I thought that. Um, um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of as much as we learned. So I think we don't have to, you know, we might learn some more about that relationship. So we don't have to, like, you know, go too much farther. But, like, Getting I don't, some of that backstory for, like, we've we've gotten hints about her, like, there's the one scene where she's playing her violin and, and the phone rings and she kind of deliberately doesn't answer it. That sort of foreshadows this relationship. But, um, yeah, this is the first time that we're getting the explanation of what, what, where exactly her dad is. So. Yeah. Um. You know, maybe I shouldn't, like, make predictions or whatever, but, like, I don't foresee a sort of Rose Father's Day episode. Mm. But I, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Anyway. Keep, keep myself neutral. Yeah, I'm not looking for you to say yay or nay, necessarily. But that would just be my impression here of, you know, Mm-hmm. That being, um, all right. Okay. So yeah. So I mean, and that's kind of it. Uh, we're yeah, we're well over our time. Um, <laughs> definitely have more to talk about uh, than I ex- suspected, and uh, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, where both of these go because I feel like, like. It, going into it, I didn't feel like either of these were particularly special episodes, but mm-hmm. kind of have, interestingly, have a little more depth than maybe, you know, we see initially. And, and so, um, like, I feel like third episodes of the season is, is not, like, a it's not a prominent place, right? Like, mm. these are typically sort of workhorse episodes, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um so it'll be interesting to see kind of what comes next after these. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That'll be interesting. Well, we'll we'll do that then. Next <laughs> next week. Uh All right. Sounds good. See you then. Mm-hmm.